it's now two o'clock and I'd like to welcome everyone to the Pit Stop, your fortnightly midweek rest area to refuel your drive. I'm Karen Cummins. I'm an audiobook narrator and I'm the chief cartographer for narratorsroadmap.com and I'm your host for Pit Stop. And with me in the co-pilot seat is my lovely friend and award-winning audiobook narrator, Anne Flosnick. She hosts the Narrator Uplift Show here on Clubhouse. How are you today, Anne? Great. So happy to be here. Well, I'm happy you're here, too. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Every other Wednesday, audiobook narrators who do more than narrate are pulling into the pit stop, and they're sure to inspire you to follow your interest and use all of your talents and gifts. So I want to let you all know this conversation is being recorded, and you'll be able to re-listen or catch parts you missed. And feel free to comment in the chat and raise your hand in the app if you want to be part of the conversation, because we'd love to hear from you. Thanks again so much for joining us. I am super excited to talk today with audiobook narrator and podcast host Rich Miller. Rich has been a storyteller since he was a kid. When he was around 10, he started reading to his family after dinner every night. Later in life, he learned that people actually liked having stories acted out for them. He's been on stage in everything from Shakespeare to Damn Yankees to August Osage County, and he starred in the indie feature Akatia Flat, and now he's acting out stories in front of a microphone. Rich created the very popular podcast, Audiobook Speakeasy, so he could chat with narrators, coaches, engineers, and other industry professionals over drinks. He recently reached the 100th episode. Rich says he learned a lot from all the guests and discovered a lot of great cocktails, and we're going to talk more about that today. Rich, um, welcome to the Pit Stop. I'm just really excited to talk to you. It's time high time somebody turned the table on you and asked you the questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Karen. It's great to be here. I am. Well, you know, reading about your history of telling stories, I had expected to see that you probably went to college in theater, and I was shocked to discover, no, you nope. have a math degree. I do, yeah. What yeah, led we, to that? You, you and I have a lot in common there, because if I remember correctly from when you were in the speakeasy back on episode 26, way back way back when. 2018, uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you did uh, quite a bit of coding in your lifetime, and uh, I, I was the same. I uh, spent a lot of time in high tech. Yeah, so you did, did you go into this thinking, well, that's something I really love, or that's where the money is, or... How did this come about? So I, I was drawn into high tech when I was in college. I, I remember going down into the basement of the college library at some point, And that was where the, I think they had about 10, maybe a dozen computer terminals at the time. This is back in the 1980s. Um, the IBM PC, I think, had just come out. And uh, they had some some dumb terminals connected to the college mainframe. And it was it was like one of those cartoon moments where I walked down and I saw these computer monitors and it was like ah you know light came down from heaven. So for whatever reason, I was really really drawn to that, and it it just was a really good fit for me, and uh, it it ended up working out for a career. Later on, I I got less enthralled with um, 
with all of a lot of aspects of high tech. And in the meantime, I had been sort of recruited to be in a stage play. I was never interested in theater when I was a kid and I was recruited to be in a musical. uh, And I was less interested in musicals than I was in stage plays. And, uh, and I had such a good time that it ended up sparking this whole other career eventually. I mean, it took a long time, but uh, I, I was just, I had so much fun that uh, I kept at it. Well, that's really interesting. And and I'm keying on, pardon the pun, keying on the musical thing. So this was acting and I'm assuming singing and, and not playing any sort of instrument, but were you singing also or just acting? Correct. Yeah. At the time I was, uh, I was in a barbershop chorus and, uh, the director came at night and he said, Hey, there's this guy that's looking to, uh, to get a barbershop, but it's kind of harmony. And so it would be similar. Is anybody interested? And it, I was in a small chorus. We only had a dozen, maybe 15 members. And a few of us kind of looked around the room and kind of said, um, okay shrugged our shoulders and so we showed up to audition and the director finally came over to us it was a production of bye bye birdie and we were uh, going to be shriners singing backup to um oh, i can't remember the name of the song now but we were going to be shriners and a couple of other bit parts at various places and uh, he said oh you're the quartet great go stand over there so we ended up not auditioning and just being cast and um it, it was just so much fun uh, doing the singing and a little bit of movement. I am not a dancer, but we had to do, <laughs> had to do a little bit of movement and uh, and then, you know, showing up in other scenes. And I just thought, this is great. And so that that kind of spawned the uh, the acting career. Now, have you always been in Tucson or in Arizona? Because I saw you worked for eBay and I wondered, were you living in the Bay Area at that point? And so this this musical, I'm wondering where this happened. So I grew up in LA and then moved to the Bay Area in 1989, right before the big earthquake in October. It was, mm. I think I moved in June or July and um, lived in the Bay Area for 23 years. Uh, at the time that this happened, I was living in the Santa Cruz Mountains in a little town called Ben Lomond. And the, um, the, production of Bye Bye Birdie went up in Scotts Valley, which is uh, also uh, over the other side of the the hill towards Santa Cruz. So that's where that happened. And then shortly after that, uh, I got married and we moved to San Jose. And so the rest of my theater was done in the South Bay area. You know, if I had just moved there and three months, four months later, there's this massive earthquake i think i would have moved back <laughs> <laughs> having grown up in la the earthquake didn't really freak me out that much in fact it didn't freak me out enough until later that day i found out that uh the rapid transit was closed uh, part of the bay bridge had collapsed and all of a sudden i thought holy crap this is serious because <laughs> i've oh, been yeah. through i don't know dozens or hundreds of earthquakes in my life and uh that was that was when i realized oh this is a big deal and you know everything was closed for most of the rest of that week yeah i remember watching the world series game when it yep. happened and and then of course the tv cameras are immediately showing devastation yep. everywhere but just not only living through it but the aftermath of it 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 would be hard for me having just moved there. I know you said you've dealt with them before, but 
this was unlike most earthquakes, and it would just be hard, I think, to stay there. Yeah, I, at that point, I was already pretty committed, and so it, it wasn't really a problem. But but yeah, that that was a major major event. <laughs> hmm. Sure. And I've been on eBay since uh, I want to say ninety five, ninety six, somewhere in there. Wow, that's early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have to wonder, did you get any kind of discount? <laughs> no, no, no. I was actually I was actually a contractor uh who I a friend of mine, we we worked at a startup together that ended up not going anywhere. And um he started working at eBay through some company and he said, We're we're looking for somebody to do XYZ. And I said, Well, yeah, okay, that sounds pretty good since I was getting back into high tech at that point. And, um, and so he said, well, you have to go through this company. And I said, huh? Well, apparently that's the way they did a lot of hiring was they just said, you know, we're going to work with this one company and they placed a whole ton of people there. So, uh, it was kind of a secondary employment, but for the entire time I was with that consulting company, I was working for eBay. So essentially I was, you know, an eBay employee. Yeah. Oh yeah, well you know all these firms do that, so they don't have to pay you the full benefits. Because, exactly. Oh yeah, you're just a contract employee, so you don't you don't need health care, you don't need vacation time, you don't need sick time. Yeah, and the consulting company did have benefits, but it was not nearly as I I don't think that the benefits were nearly as beneficial as they would have been if it had been through the employer. No, they planned it that way. Yeah, yeah. My 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 first foray into the gig economy, uh, it was kind of a soft landing at that point. Uh, being a narrator, eh, not quite such a soft landing. <laughs> well, so you, you did this musical, and then did you do more local theater from there? I mean, so I'm just wondering, how did you get from there to starting narration? Yeah, so I, I did that. I did Bye Bye Birdie uh, over in Scotts Valley. And then once we moved to San Jose, I uh, auditioned for Damn Yankees, got in that. And then I, I started meeting all of the South Bay Theater group. And as I'm sure you're aware, I'm sure this is true pretty much everywhere. Um, theater isn't a huge community. Uh, it's, you know, somewhat close knit, depending on where you're living and depending on what level of theater you're at. So I started meeting all the people in the South Bay and had more opportunities. And then at some point, I don't remember which play it was, but I thought, well, maybe I should audition for a play instead of a, a musical. And I, what, whichever one it was, I did it and I loved it. And I thought, oh my God, yeah, I like this so much more than musicals. So um, the, I think the last musical I did was uh, Jesus Christ Superstar playing Caiaphas. And um, that was because I had met, you know, one of the people that was in the theater scene there. She was the musical director and she really, really uh, pushed hard for me to audition for this. And it ended up being a really good experience. But from that point on, uh, and a little bit before that, I was really dedicated much more towards just stage plays. Um, and so I, I took some acting classes since I, I never had in the past. And I started learning more about what's involved and what you have to access and, uh, you know, all, all of the things that you learn as you get into acting. And uh, then that sort of led towards, well, as long as I'm doing this, uh, let's look into voice acting. So uh, I did, uh, got a demo, got an agent in San Francisco, booked uh, quite a few non-union, smaller jobs, 
But what I didn't understand at the time was that once you do this, you are going into business for yourself. Uh, if you don't treat yeah. it, if you don't treat it as a business, uh, you know, you're not going to get that much work. Sure. Your agent will send you things and you'll book a few things every once in a while, but you, you really can't make a living when you're just starting out. If you're not put, well, I shouldn't say you can't, uh, you know, uh, a very small percentage of people luck out, they get great jobs early on and it's kind of, you know, uh, all the way up from there. Uh, for a lot of people, for, for me, it was not at all like that. It was much more, you know, you're going to need to go out and get some work. And I didn't really understand that. So it just, I just kept making a very small amount of money and eventually had to go back into high tech. But as I was getting into voiceover, I thought, well, audiobooks, that's another avenue. And so I started volunteering for uh, reading for the Blind and Dyslexic, which is now Learning Ally, and uh, a, a local organization in San Jose called Books Aloud. And I, I really felt like audiobooks were a good fit. I enjoyed it. And it, it felt, um, I felt like, I, I don't know, there was something about it that gave me a, a better feeling than when I was um, just doing the commercial stuff. That was fun, too. But there was something about audiobooks where I, I felt like I could really, like, you know, immerse myself in this project. And uh, so that stayed with me. After I moved to Tucson, then ACX was up uh, right about the time right before we moved. So learned about that. It took me a while to actually create a profile and get going. But once I did, once again, I felt like this just feels like a good fit to me. I, I'm not sure exactly why, but... I feel like it it works for me, and it ended up working out really well. Well, I should say so because you are now well established in it, and you just keep going. Yeah, you know, and and you know, we all I think have those moments where it's like, well, geez, I don't have anything booked right now. I don't even know if I can keep doing this. Um, and, and I still have those moments every once in a while. Um, but fortunately, yeah, it's, I've gotten to the point where I do feel much less uncomfortable when I don't have anything on the counter more than a couple of weeks out. Yeah. I think you've told me you've had that same problem and, and Anne's been at it 20 years or more that sometimes you feel like, oh, where's the next one coming from? It's true. I, for yeah. me, I know it's never going to go away. That's just the way it is. I, I suspect it will be the same for me. It's it's like at, at some point you just go, well, I'm not sure what's next. But um, yeah. so I, I don't know that that will ever go. It's kind of like they say, you know, when you get into acting, you need to have a thick skin because you're going to audition for 100 things and book one or national commercials, 1,000 or 10,000 auditions, and then you get one. Or, or book nothing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you can, you're not you, guaranteed you'll book anything. Exactly. There's no guarantee at all. And so they say, well, you have to have a thick skin. And I have certainly developed a thick skin. <laughs> But it's not so, it's not so thick that it doesn't affect me at all. You know, I think that most of us, it still affects you no matter what. Well, I really wanted that book and they gave it to somebody else. And well, I'm not going to feel good about that for a while. It, it gets easier. It's just I think that'll always be with me to at least some degree. Mm -hmm. I think that's human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I told somebody the other day that because they were talking about developing a thick skin. And I said, you know, if somebody would sell thick skins 
on eBay, <laughs> they would make a fortune from the actors because we'd yeah. be lined up to buy it. <laughs> yeah, this is one industry where that could definitely come in handy. <laughs> well, so what started you on the path to decide you're going to have a podcast? Well, it was uh, 2017 and, or late 2016. I, I don't remember exactly, but I had just gotten into listening to a bunch of different podcasts and I thought, oh, you know, I, I feel like I need to learn more about this industry. I started in um, on the um, commercial audiobook side in 2014. And so it had been a couple of years, two, three years, and I I felt like I need to know more about who's in this industry. I know that one of my problems when I got into voiceover the first time was not understanding this as a business. Okay, I get it's a business now. I need to drive this. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to talk to. Mm -hmm. And I also, a, a big, probably the biggest part was in the Facebook groups that I was in, people would talk about coaches and you need to get coaching. And I knew that that was true, but I wasn't sure who to go to. And you can get a personal recommendation and that's great, uh, especially if it's somebody that you really trust, but you're not always gonna click with the person that the person you're getting the recommendation clicks with. So I thought I'd really like to hear from these coaches and you know everybody in the industry so that I, I know them better on a personal basis and so I started looking for places where I could hear people talk, um, you know, mm -hmm. pick, pick whatever coach you want to think about mm -hmm. and, and think, well, I don't know if I would get along with that person or not. What do they sound like? You know, what, what, what does it sound like their approaches to this kind of work? And I couldn't really find anything. The, the podcasts that I found about audiobooks were mostly about audiobook reviews. So whoever the host or hosts were would pick an audiobook and talk about the book and then talk about the narration. And, and that was kind of it. And I thought, that's not at all what I'm looking for. <laughs> so I thought, well, uh, I'm not finding what I'm looking for. I'm either looking in the wrong place or it's not out there. Maybe I'll just create it. So I went to APAC that year in 2017. And um, by that time, I had kind of got some ideas in my head about what I was going to do, but I wasn't sure about everything. And so I ended up meeting Scott Brick and talking to him for a while and said, look, I've, I've got this idea. Would you be interested in, um, you know, would you be maybe available to be interviewed? And he said, yeah, you know, here's the thing though. You know, I've, I've gotten my, my stuff out there before about, you know, origin story and whatnot. Um, you're going to want to find some way to make it different you know, not just uh, an interview. And so I thought, well, at the time I was kind of getting into craft cocktails and amateur mixology and all that. And I thought, what I really want is, is something comfortable, something where uh, people feel like they're just sitting in on a conversation. They walked up to a couple of people sitting in a bar and they came up and now they're just sitting in and listening to the conversation. And so that's how I came up with the audiobook speakeasy idea of just sitting and having drinks and uh, over drinks, having a chat about audiobooks. I always thought, and still do think, that's such a brilliant title and a way to marry both of those things together. And plus, when you think about a speakeasy, you couldn't just walk in there. You know, you had to 
I, I mean, I don't know. This is what I've seen in movies. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, there was always the person behind the little slot. You'd have to yeah. give them the password. So it's kind of like a, you know, inviting people to join the behind-the-scenes chat while people discuss things at a bar. And, and that yeah. just made it all the cozier, I thought. And I, yeah. I loved that theme and how you put those two things together. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's uh, It was a great experience. I I met so many great people um and just uh i i had a great time and i learned learned how to make a lot of new cocktails to me too um but but mostly it was just you know meeting the people in the industry and uh and at the same time feeling good about being able to give back and not just having a private conversation but sharing this with other people and i have loved over the years hearing stories from people uh, saying, you know, I found my coach because you interviewed them on your podcast. And I, I really resonated with the conversation and with how this person was speaking about this stuff. And I had a coach actually come up to me at APAC the year after I had interviewed her saying, Hey, you know what? I, you know, somebody just uh, signed up with me because they heard me on your podcast. So thanks for that. And of course, that wasn't my intention was to get them business. Um, nobody paid me or anything to to get them business. But I love hearing that somebody felt comfortable enough to reach out to somebody and work with them because they had the opportunity to hear them talk about this work in a in a relaxed, comfortable setting. It was brilliant. It was. And I hope you'll do it again. So <laughs> I really do. I, I you're the king of it all. You really I, are. I, I don't have any plans at the moment. It's just that timing um, when it comes to a podcast, uh, pe a lot of people don't realize there's a, a lot of back end work that goes into that. You have to do the legwork of reaching out to people. Uh, then you have to record it. Then you have to either edit it or pay somebody to edit it. And I wanted to keep control over it. So I've, I've done it on my own the entire time. And so I figure it, it takes a good six to eight hours for each one hour episode. Um, so I, I also thought about doing a short form, but the most of the podcasts I listen to are more the long form type, which are about an hour. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to go with that. I know that some people actually don't listen to longer podcasts. They only want to listen to things that are 10 or 15 minutes. And that's fine. I understand that. But I decided, no, it's just that doesn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about coming over to Clubhouse and doing it there? So there was actually right after Clubhouse start, well, uh, probably quite a, quite a while after Clubhouse started, but right after I joined Clubhouse, I actually did one Sunday afternoon, I started a room that I called something like, uh, I don't know, the audiobook speakeasy or, or something with that in the name of the room. Mm -hmm. And a couple of people did, did show up, but I, I just had a hard time devoting a specific time slot to it. Uh, and so, so I haven't yet, but, but it is still in the back of my mind as another way to keep that kind of, uh, I don't know, keep the vibe instead of having people to interview, just invite people in and actually have, you know, group conversations about, uh, what's happening with them in the audiobook world. So that is, that is definitely still a possibility. Uh, not sure if, or when that's going to happen. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's good. There is hope then. Because yeah. I do. I, I miss it. You built such community. Yeah. Fact, it was a comfort. I mean, it really was. I loved it. 
Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. People in the chat are commenting on the same thing. John York said, it's such a great show. Melissa Benson said, such a wholly appealing podcast from the theme music to Rich's congenial personality. I'm a forever fan. Plus, I love cocktails. <laughs> yeah, so and there were a lot of people. I always made it very clear that drinking was not required. I, I think probably a third of my guests were either having water or tea or something else, um, at least a quarter. And a lot of times that had to do with the fact that they were going to be working after the interview. And so I, I totally understand that. Uh, and, and I always tell people there are lots of very good reasons not to drink alcohol. So uh, that's definitely not a requirement when you come into the audiobook speakeasy. <laughs> but, you know, I know I was drinking Coke the day we yeah. talked because that's the strongest thing I drink. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you were talking about people finding their coach. It's not just finding the coach. I mean, I think we've all listen to your interviews with producers and find out what they like and how they work. And that is such invaluable information. And like, I, I have a casting directory on Narrator's Roadmap and I have companies and I have people. And then in the other resources, I list every place I can find where they're discussing things. And there's so many of these listings that say so and so was on this episode of Audiobook Speakeasy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yeah. it's such a treasure trove of good information and to help all of us research and be able to move forward in our careers. And so you you may not have gotten that kind of feedback, but I want to tell you it's there. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I, I love hearing that. Um, so um, this is great. I hadn't even realized there was a chat until you said something in the chat. Oh, yeah, there's a chat, Rich. Yeah, so, so like I said, it's been a while since I've been on Clubhouse. But um, this this is great. I, I mm -hmm. love hearing that uh, somebody else grew up in Santa Cruz and performed with South Bay Musical Theater. So, um I'm I'm not sure who that is. When I was uh, trying to think of South Bay, I think somebody may have changed their name. When I was performing Damn Yankees, it was with West Valley Light Opera. And I, I think either they changed their name or another group did, because I don't remember that name from when I was there. But um, anyway, uh, so it's great. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for uh, keying me into the chat. <laughs> and that's one thing that I love, and I think you do too, Anne, about Clubhouse is because there is this interactive component to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So um, I, it, it does seem like a great platform. So maybe as I, as I shift away from other things, uh, I can, I can pick up more here. And, oh, that's marvelous. Yeah. And Rich, you're such a natural at it. Was there some job that you did or something that made you such an intelligent interviewer? I mean, really? You have it down to a science. Boy, not, not that I can remember. Um, I just, uh, I tried to, you know, I I think I only had one, maybe two episodes where I was not having a drink. And so I was always getting myself a little more comfortable uh, in order to... Uh, <laughs> In order to do a, a nice, pleasant uh, interview, I, I don't, I don't think of any of the jobs that I've ever had as being, you know, so much of a, a something that would get me into that. Um, but you know, I'm, I like talking to people, so mm -hmm. I'm, really? I, I, I'm, yeah. I've got the typical, uh, or not, maybe not typical, but common narrator personality type of introvert slash extrovert, and so in in certain settings. I feel really comfortable and happy being in a, a big group of people. And a lot of the time I just want to be like, nope, leave me alone. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I, I wouldn't understand anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know I would. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's not uncommon. <laughs> How long did it take you to between having the idea of maybe I want to do a podcast to actually implementing it and doing it? Do you remember? It was uh, it was well over six months. It may have been a full year. I don't remember when I started uh, thinking about it exactly, but the first episode with Sean Pratt was in November of 2017, and I I had been going over it in my head, the possibility of doing it since at least the beginning of that year. And I had to learn all the technical stuff about where to register it and where to host it. And so I had to look Mm. into all the different hosting companies and all of that stuff, um, which has changed quite a bit since I started it. There are a lot more options available now. Uh, At some point after I started, I started listening to a podcast called The Audacity to Podcast, which is all about podcasting a little meta there but it's uh, it was great the guy who ran it was he would dig into the details of the best practices on this and the best practices on that and how you uh, which tags you use for this and that Uh, but when I started there was there was less than there is now Uh, so so there's quite a bit to setting it up and because it was just kind of an idea and I wasn't like you know super driven towards it. I, I allowed it to percolate for a long time. And then after talking to Scott, I thought, you know, if Scott Brick could say, I, I actually was never able to get him on the podcast, but, um, if Scott Brick is willing to talk to some unknown narrator and, and possibly be on a podcast that he's going to start, there has to be enough interest here. And so after that APAC, I, which is back when it was still in May, I started contacting people like Sean Pratt and other coaches and producers and whatnot. And uh, then I, when I had a list of people where I figured, yeah, I should be able to sustain this for a little while, um, then I finally got down to doing the recording. So it was, it was at least a good eight or 10 months, maybe longer. Wow. I, I think podcast was the word of the year in 2006. I think that's when it got added to the dictionary or at the end of 2005. And I remember this because... I had wanted to do a podcast since then. I mean, since, and I haven't, I mean, I had ideas for it and I've talked to several people, but you know, ideas love speed. And if you don't start implementing it, then oftentimes it doesn't happen. Yeah. It, I had also in my youth dreamed of being a talk show host and because of pit stop now on clubhouse, but uh, this is where I'm going with this. This is actually now becoming a podcast because I saved the audio. You can download the audio from Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And, and I added some music on the front end, back ends of it. And now it's living on Narrator's Roadmap on the Pit Stop page. That's and great. You know, so it it has made a lot of the things that were challenging and that deterred me and the things you're talking about. It has taken some of those out of the equation of not having to do all of the audio and processing everything myself. I can just roll with the audio that it gives me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And so it it does seem like such a good fit for you. If you take speakeasy to some other kind of, you know, take it to a new format, new platform. Yeah. And, or, or, you know, if you had a different idea, maybe you want to change into a podcast now with all the cocktails that you've learned how to make. 
No, but if I do something on Clubhouse, I will always be having a drink when I'm doing it. <laughs> Are you having a drink now? Is that what you're t- telling us? No, no, no. I, I just mean as the host. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, actually, I, I thought about making one because um, normally I only drink in the middle of the day if I go out to lunch. And that's only if I'm not working that afternoon. Um, but I've actually gotten into a lot of different kinds of mocktails recently so that I could have a mocktail in the middle of the day at some point instead of just plain soda water or something like that. So I thought about making one and I just didn't get around to it before noon. So, <laughs> Can you give us a fairly easy recipe for any of your mocktails, Rich? Well, I'm using specific products put out by a company called Liars, L-Y-R-E apostrophe S. Um, And they, I think they're in New Zealand, if I remember correctly. I I don't know, but um, they, uh, they do distribute in the U.S. And I've purchased now a whole bunch of their stuff. I think they have a really good non-alcoholic sparkling wine and they have um, lots of different uh, spirit alternatives. Um, the the spirits, I think, are the harder ones. They've also got quite a few liqueurs that are non-alcoholic. And those are really close. I, I Every time I buy a new one, I do a taste test against the actual um, one. So they have one that's like Campari. So I'll take a taste of Campari, and then I'll take a taste of theirs. And you know, the mouthfeel is very different when it doesn't have alcohol in it. But if the flavor is similar, then you can build a really, you know, pretty good drink out of it. And so um, I've made several um, Aperol spritzes that are non-alcoholic with their products. And it's a really good, refreshing mid-afternoon drink. Um, A lot of the drinks that I drink are going to be much more refreshing once I'm not freezing all the time. um, Because Lately, we've only been getting up to around 60 here. Now, I know some people are going to hear that and go freezing. <laughs> but when it gets below 70, I'm putting a jacket yeah. on. So, yeah, um, it's all relative. so yeah, exactly. It's all relative. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Liars puts out a lot of a lot of really good stuff. Their um, their fake rum makes a really good daiquiri. And uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's that's what I've been experimenting with a lot lately is Liars products. And what's their gin like? Because I know you're you're a gin person, aren't you, Rich? I am. I am. Mm-hmm. Gin is almost always the spirit that I use for uh, happy hour cocktails, whiskey for after dinner. But their their gin is okay. Um, it's not great, but it's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes a good gin and tonic, but Ooh. it does. You, you just can't really make a martini without the alcohol. It just doesn't work. Um, so it depends on the drink, but uh, the, the gin is okay. I've actually got a bottle of their pink London spirit right now, which also makes some, some really good drinks. I made a, um, a virgin Tom Collins the other day with their pink gin. That was great. Ooh. Let's try that out. Yeah. Yeah. They make good stuff. Oh, that's a very good tip. And I, I so that, like that's an interesting idea. Suzanne just commented. Uh, my friend Suzanne Barbetta just asked about a, a speakeasy mixology book based on the drinks that I created. Uh, that's that's an interesting idea. I will actually think about that. That would be something I could do kind of in uh, in spare time. That, that might be fun. <laughs> a great idea. Yeah. Well, and then you'd become an author. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you would just add to all the things you're doing that aren't narrating and 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 that's what I love hearing about is how people are 
splitting their time and bringing all their gifts to the surface. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I think that when you're in a creative enterprise, it is always a good idea to not have all your eggs in one basket. Um, I am not doing that. On the other hand, I'm almost 60 and I'm I'm having a hard time considering getting into anything new. Other people who are this age don't have any problem considering other things. And that's, that's cool for me personally, that would be, um, I, I'm not really feeling good about getting into something new, but I think that earlier on in a career, because things change so quickly these days, Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to, um, you know, kind of good advice for life, just be a well-rounded person. And when it comes to work, be open to other possibilities that allow you to stay in some sort of creative endeavor. That hits the nail on the head. I couldn't agree with <laughs> Wonderful you more. advice. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes our gifts are just revealed to us, you know, not kind of fully formed out of the egg, but they, you know, become more revealed to us as time goes by within the creative framework, as, as you said. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stay open. And be a good rounded human being it's great yeah Yeah, i just i just think that it's so easy to get sort of um accidentally pigeonholed by yourself yes and and i think that you know no nobody's intending to go out there saying well i'm not going to do anything else or you know very few people if any but at the same time if you're not actually you know open to it on a regular basis some things might just you know you might miss them in, in the journey where if you'd actually, you know, be open to it, you could see it and it might turn into, you know, a secondary thing, or even, even if it's just a hobby, um, something that would be interesting and make life more enjoyable. So, uh, I like, I, I try to be open. I think it gets harder as you get older, but uh, I try to be open to stuff like that. <laughs> oh, well, clearly you are. And, and the whole, I think what we do, as narrators, it just tends us to keep our, our heads down and our eyes down and our thoughts down, to speaking for myself anyway, to some degree. And it's only when, you know, you get a chance to step back for a minute and look around and what's going on and, and where do you fit in, you know, who am I and all the rest of it, that other avenues can become apparent. But it takes that getting the head back up and yep. join the human race for a minute to see, you know, what are the things. Yeah, especially with the synthetic voice thing that's happening now. Mm-hmm. That um, I I personally am not overly concerned about that. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in the minority view. I, I realize that, but I I think that there are going to be major challenges that uh, for for it to go from kind of the niche product that it is now, which is a very good niche product that's getting better mm-hmm. and better. I get that. And having the tech background, I understand that technology moves quickly and it could get to that point. I tend to have a a view that it's going to take quite a while for that. For somebody at my stage in life, I don't see it as a huge problem. I do see it as something that everybody should keep on their radar and Mm -hmm. keep learning about the advances and what's happening in that part of the industry. And because of that, be really open to diversifying and make sure that you have other things that you can do uh, if, you know, worst case scenario happens with um, synthetic voices. 
Right, right. And it's not the first big thing that came along, you know, in the industry, because when I started, there weren't computers. So, you know, and we survived and we we just keep on. So mm -hmm. I tend to be optimistic about it all, that there'll still be a place for us, and if mm -hmm. not the forefront place. Um, and and when you yeah. started, you were always going to a studio. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, and so the at-home revolution oh. was sometime after that, so... Yes. Yeah. And then it's how quickly you adopt to things. And no, I, I've grown an awful lot, but you know, you have to grow as, as the years go by. Uh, but I'm just saying that there have been other big changes that shook up the whole way that um, audiobooks were delivered. And mm -hmm. what just what I had to do as a narrator or anybody had to do as a narrator. And you just, you know, it, but it all, it all works out. It just yeah. does. You have yeah. to believe that. That was that was true when I started in voiceover as well. I, I started in the early 2000s. And mm. at the time, home studios were not common. They were starting there. People were starting to record at home more. But but it was not common to have an actual home studio like a studio bricks or home built or whatever it is. Most people who were recording at home like I was were recording in a closet. And a lot of people still are. And there's nothing wrong with that. If it if if, if yeah, you get I started in a closet. Yeah, it, there, there, it, if you have a, a good location, a closet might be the perfect solution because you don't have to build something and you get a great sound. So that's mm -hmm. that's great. But at the time, actual home studios were really just only for the Don LaFontaine's of the world. You know, it, it yeah. was really not much of a thing. And very quickly, within, I would say, the first two or three years that I had gotten into voiceover, that started to change rapidly. And by, you know, five years later... It was really uh, semi-common for people who were getting into voice acting to do that. And the people who weren't able to adapt and had to keep recording in studios were finding it slightly more difficult. Of course, the more established you are, the less that matters. But they were finding it a little bit more difficult to um, to keep up. And so you just you have to be able to, um, you know, not um, not foretell what's going to happen, but be keep your finger on the pulse and be willing to adapt and change and learn new things as things change. Yeah, that's definitely great advice for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you said that you were doing all the editing of your podcast. So do you and you were having to hunt down the people and do all the scheduling. So it sounds like you don't have or didn't have any help since I know you've ended the speakeasy. So if was it just you or did you did you actually have a VA in there somewhere or some sort of physical help with editing? Nope, it was just me. I I will say that I had a lot of support from my wife, uh, just, you know, understanding that I was doing all these different things uh, or, you know, a few different things. I don't want to make it sound like I was all over the place, but um, she was she was very supportive. Uh, but it was pretty much all me just doing all the all the podcast stuff. Um, I hear about assistance and I think, wow, that sounds great. But for where I'm at and for the amount of work that I do so far, I haven't had the need for that. I, I could totally see if, if I was, if I was working like, I don't know, 50% more than I am or doing other things, or if I had other non work related stuff, like family members, kids, um, you know, there, everybody is in a different situation and I'm in a situation that's, that's fairly relaxed in that sense. I don't have all these other things going on. 
Um, but I could definitely see why having an assistant would be really helpful, um, depending on what you're dealing with. Well, I have a question. I call this the pit stop hot seat. I may ask you more than one question, but <laughs> <laughs> one of the favorite but... questions I've asked people is what is, if you, if you went into the witness protection plan, what identity would you like to assume? Ooh, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, um, think about the stories that I've heard of, of people who have done that being a, um, uh, organized crime, uh, drama aficionado, Sopranos fan, stuff like that. Um, I, I have to say, because, and, and I've also thought if it, if it wasn't for the fact that I would have to deal with the public, I would love to open a restaurant. And so I have to say, given my experience in the past five years, learning a lot more about cocktails, I would open a bar. I, I would love to uh, be, a, be a bar owner and an occasional bartender. You'd still have to deal with the employees, though, even if you are not there on a daily basis. Yes. And that, that's another negative when it comes to owning a business. <laughs> and then, of course, there'd be all your suppliers you'd have to deal with. So you'd be dealing with a lot of people pretty quickly. Yeah. Suppliers, I think I could deal with better than uh, better than employees and the public. But uh, but yeah, I, I would probably do that. <laughs> and another favorite question I have is, which fictional character do you wish was real and why? Oof. Uh, Told you you'd be in the hot seat. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> uh, fictional character. I'd probably say Gandalf. Um, you know, somebody who could impart some wisdom to me on, on occasional bases. That, that, would be, uh, that would be fun. Well, that's a good choice. It sounds like you and he, <clears throat> excuse me, you and he have already been communing though because you've been imparting some wonderful pearls of wisdom here today <laughs> well I, I i do my best i'm no wizard though i'll tell you that <laughs> and we're coming up on the top of the hour and i want to be sure anybody in the audience has a chance to talk or ask questions i did see abigail reno had a question for you maybe she wants to come to the microphone and ask it yeah i, I saw that that's great Abigail, do you want to come to the mic or do you want us to just have him read your question and answer it? And anyone else is welcome to come to the mic as well. Sure, yeah. While we are... Happy to uh, take questions. I don't know if I'll have any answers, but... <laughs> <laughs> I always, when I worked in IT, and even now sometimes I still say... Uh, go ahead and ask me your question. And if I don't know, I'll be glad to make up something. <laughs> Usually I leave it at, if I don't know, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. Oh, uh, she says, I'm not sure how to turn my microphone on in clubhouse. If you raise your hand or I can, I can just, I think I can just invite you to speak. That, I, actually, I think I have that power. The one time that I ran a room, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And so I learned that, uh, that there are a lot of things that you can do when you're actually in charge of the room. I have, in, I have sent the microphone to Abigail. And here she is. And if you'll just tap your microphone in the bottom right corner. Oh, there you go. There we go. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, yeah. you sound great. Oh, yay. It's my first time speaking on Clubhouse. Well, so I didn't right. know how to do that. <laughs> it's a banner um, day. <laughs> very cool. Um, I'm walking my dog at the moment, so that's why I'm a little out of breath. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I was just curious if you had ever made a martini with sauerkraut juice um, instead of olive juice. I've been wanting to try that. I, I have, haven't done it yet. I have not. That's a great idea. I, I do love sauerkraut. Um, what I have done is had a, a martini. So I, I should also say I am not a fan, even though I love olives, I am not a fan of a dirty martini. I think that the amount of olive that you get from the from the olive that you put in it is plenty for my taste. Mm-hmm. But there is a restaurant about a mile and a half from me that has a um, homemade um it's a i don't remember what they call it now but it's the it's like the house martini and it is made with pickle juice and a a a piece of pickle as a garnish instead of an olive or a twist and uh i love it it's great so um sauerkraut juice that sounds like a a really interesting idea i also love a gibson with a uh a cocktail onion instead of an olive um but yeah Yeah, i've heard of the pickle juice thing i haven't tried that yet either yeah, no, it's it's really good. So, um, sauerkraut, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> also, somebody, I commented, Gandalf was the first person who popped into my head, and somebody com- commented, really? And yes, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. Yeah, I, I have read the series uh, six or eight or ten times, and uh, the books that I like more, like Fellowship, more than but um But yeah, that was the first, first person that came to mind. I'll have to think about that. That's a good question. <laughs> is is um, Gandalf really a person? I forgive me. I've never read Lord of the Rings, so oh, oh no, is, kidding. Is Gandalf really a person, or he's a wizard? Okay. Oh. Oh, well, that explains it. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's still a person. He's still a person. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, I didn't know if like he's an elf or he's a hobbit or he's some other kind of entity. Other he's than a wizard. Person. Humanoid wizard. Yeah. I think well, he this counts. is good to know. <laughs> you never know when you'll be tested on this kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, I don't want to overstay my time talking. I could talk about Lord of the Rings forever. Well, we're, we're glad you came, and, and, and we're glad you came to the microphone. And, yeah. yeah. It was Thank your first you. time on Clubhouse, but hopefully speaking on Clubhouse. But hopefully it won't be your last. Yeah, I'm trying to, trying to tune in more. Sure. Yeah, there's a it's lot been... of good conversations happening. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of wealth of knowledge. So thank you guys so much. Cool. <laughs> Is there anyone else who would like to come up to the mic while we still have Rich? Just raise your hands. Like I said, not sure if I can answer, but... Uh... Well, that's okay. Like I, like I always said, you you can you can make up something and nobody will know the difference. So. <laughs> they will if it's bad advice and they take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of people dispensing bad advice, but you're not one of them. There, there are. I I always tell people, uh, be careful what you pay attention to out there. So, what if? Somebody's sitting out there and they're thinking, well, you know, maybe there's something I'd like to do. Maybe not a podcast, maybe something else. Do you have advice for them of 
people who want to expand their horizon beyond narration. Would you, what would you say to that kind of person? I would say if, um, first just do some personal brainstorming and, um, think, you know, if, if you're really not sure what you want to do. So if you don't know that you want to do a podcast, but you want to do something else, just brainstorm and be crazy, you know, come up with crazy ideas. Well, you know, I want to talk to somebody about audiobooks, but I, I don't like the podcast format. So um, come up with, you know, everything you can think of. Uh, give a talk at a local library. Um, give a talk on a street corner. Um, you know, go into a go into a bar once a week and just pick somebody at random and see if they'll listen to you. I mean, think about crazy things. And then after you think about a bunch of crazy things, narrow it down and say, yeah, that's unrealistic. Nobody's going to want to listen to that. Nobody's going to want to participate in that, whatever it is. But allow yourself the, the, um, the ability to just think of anything, then narrow it down. And once you have a couple of good ideas, then I'm a big fan of doing a substantial amount of research before you actually start something. I think that, you know, it can work to where you go into something going, well, I don't know, I guess I can do this. And you just start. I think that that can work. And I think that for some people, it'll work better than for other people. That is not my approach. My approach uh, is almost too far in the other direction where I can get into analysis paralysis and basically just think about it forever and never end up coming with a way, coming up with a way to do it. Um, but I'm a big fan of, of doing research and finding out who else is doing this kind of thing. How are they doing it? If I was going to start doing that thing, whatever it is, how would uh, how would I do the first steps? Would I have to like for a podcast? What do you have to do? Well, you have to register the podcast. After you register it, you have to put specific tags in place so that uh, the various different podcast platforms and providers can actually pull it in and and uh, distribute it. And so um, I'm a big fan of doing quite a bit of that so that once you actually get going. Um, you already have enough knowledge to where when you run into a roadblock, you know where to go to get the answer to how to fix it, even if you don't know how to fix it right away. Um, so that's, that's the way I, I think is a good way to go about it is, you know, give yourself a lot of freedom and then be realistic, pull back a little and then do a lot of research. That sounds great. Um, we have Rebecca Lee is down here and I don't know how to bring her up, Karen. Oh, She'd like to come up and ask Rich a question. Do you uh, see down there at the bottom? Yeah, I saw. I let's see. She um, she disappeared from the list, so let's find her in the actual audience. There she is, and then invite her to speak. So Rebecca should be coming to the mic. I feel like we should be playing some sort of music or something while this <laughs> happens. That... <laughs> uh, maybe something happened. I sent an invite to Rebecca. So, Oh, here's somebody else. She's uh, not getting oh, the invite. I don't know. Well, that's, um, that's not right. No, Linda Graves. Let's see if, if, if we can. Hi, Linda. All right, maybe I'm doing something wrong because I keep. Oh, here we go. There we go. Hi, Linda. And if you can just. Um, oh, we've got them both. Two ladies. Wonderful. Great. 
So if one of you or both of you can just unmute yourselves and then we can. Well, let, let's go with Rebecca first because yeah, right. and, and there you go. And then Linda will get to you in a minute. Sounds good. Hi, hi. I don't have a question. Just wanted to say uh, thanks, Rich, for being uh, a community leader and, and having the podcast. And um, a couple of years ago, well, the last in-person APAC, you you had a um, uh, a big uh, like a, a lunch gathering at. Um, oh yeah. And uh, that was that was kind of cool because I like I got there and I'm like I don't know anyone and then I heard your voice. I recognized your voice. <laughs> I'm like, ah, it's this guy over here. So, yeah, no, that um, was that was so much fun. Um, and I I didn't know if you know anybody would want to come or if I'd have to try to find some place that could accommodate a hundred people. I I really didn't know, and that worked out. It was really, like the perfect number that it showed. It was. Up. It worked out really really well. Had a big table, but not so big that you couldn't talk to people. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was great. Um, so. Uh, thank you for the kind words. I'm I'm really glad that I was able to provide something that was helpful to people. I I really am. Awesome. That's it. I have three questions, and then I'll just go away. But my first question is, <laughs> what is the most surprising or shocking thing that happened in the interview? In an interview, and Two, what is the strangest cocktail show someone showed up with that you weren't expecting? And three, I know you make up your own cocktails, so when is your cocktail book going to be published? <laughs> Those are all great questions. Boy, another, another nod to that cocktail book. People I gotta, want that book, Rich, now. Yeah, that's, that, that's a very interesting idea. i got to think about that. Um, so let's see the, the first question was, what's the strangest thing that I learned? So, um, there I've, I've had a couple of guests who talked about personal tragedies that they had in their life that I was unaware of. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you can pick anybody in the world and go, I'm sure that there have been things that happened in their life that, uh, I am unaware of there are lots of things that happens in everybody's life. Right. But when you're talking to somebody for an interview and all of a sudden you find out about the fact that, um, their husband died very young or they came down with, or a family member came down with an, uh, very difficult to diagnose debilitating disease or things like that. It's, um, it's, a bit of a surprise. And I like to think that I, I went with those surprises well, but there have been quite a few times where somebody would, somebody said something about their background or what they did beforehand, or that they had some, you know, tragedy happen where I was kind of, you know, momentarily shocked. And, um, that, so I, I'm not sure I want to go into any specific ones, but, that would be the category of things that I, I found the most surprising as I was doing the podcast. Um, the strangest drink that anybody brought, I, I can't think of one. I think that I've made some pretty strange ones. Um, I know that Tanya Eby, I think it was, said something on, uh, I think it was on Twitter uh, about uh, having something that tasted like a birthday cake. And I thought, hey, that sounds like a great idea. So I tried to come up with I think I called it a, a birthday cake martini and I used, I don't even remember, some kind of flavored vodka and it was not good. Uh, <laughs> I, I just ended up being quite, quite unhappy with my, uh, my concoction at that point. <laughs> 
but but in terms of what other people drank, I, I don't remember. I was a little surprised when Julia Whalen came in with a last word, which is one of my favorite gin cocktails. Um, and I thought, this is great. Somebody who knows, uh, you know, more than just the basics, martini and gin and tonic, and uh, came in with a, a last word. So it was always fun when somebody would come in with kind of a classic cocktail. And um, uh, PJ Oakland with his Three Bitters Manhattan, which I, I typically make a Manhattan with more than more than just aromatic bitters at this point. Fascinating. Thank you. In terms of the book, I don't know. Now that I've now that that bug has been planted in my ear, I, I'll I'll have to think about that. I'll do some research on it. <laughs> well, I can't I can't wait to get it. So go for it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like all of your fans from the podcast would line up to buy it. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and there are plenty of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a great idea. We have reached three o'clock, and I just want to put out a last call for anyone else who might want to say hi to Rich or have a question. Last call. Great way to end <laughs> like this. <laughs> I, I thought you of all people would probably appreciate that. <laughs> well, I don't see anyone with raised hands or questions in the chat. So I guess it's time for everybody to get the show back on the road, and we'll just conclude today's pit stop. The recording is going to be available on Clubhouse later today, and in the near future, I'll post it with a transcript on Narrator's Roadmap. I hope you'll all take another trip with us, another road trip with us in two weeks on March 15th, when we'll be speaking with Sarah Puckett. She's a narrator, and she's also the owner of Pink Flamingo Productions. And do you want to talk about next week's Narrator Uplift show? Oh, but first of all, maybe mention, is it letting any cats out of bags? It can't be. Um, Sarah's conference? No, it's not It's not letting cats out of the bag at all. Well, maybe we could mention that. Um, go on, go on. <laughs> you, 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 oh, I have to keep going. Okay. Um, well, I don't know all the details, but um, she's having uh, a... Um, virtual conference and it's two days and i don't quote me on what the hours are but you know if you look it up online you'll find out uh two days march the 29th and 30th and it's a, a very nominal cost and you can either be there in person for the whole or part of the two days or just receive the recorded versions of it um, and, right I, and this is yeah. this is linked on her site pink flamingo productions which i'll drop in the chat yeah. Right. Now, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, we'll be talking with her about that on the next pit stop. Right. And um, next Thursday, March the 9th, on my show, The Narrator Uplift, um, we will be interviewing, Karen and I will be interviewing Don Barnes, the audio engineering guru. So that'll be good. And so think of your questions and um, we will we will have the man himself. And. And you've now created your own club on Clubhouse. Yes, called Narrator Uplift, which is the same as the name of the room was. Um, yeah, so please join and um, we'll keep you posted. Yeah, it'd be so much easier to find your show and be able to get reminders about it. Right. So that's what's coming up. And in the meantime, I hope you all find joy in every journey and live the life of your dreams. Thanks again to Rich Miller for this delightful conversation. And thank my you. friend, this was yeah, great. thank I you. I really appreciate being on. 
Well, we so appreciate having you, and we'll be looking for that book. Yeah. <laughs> and, and your clubhouse club room. That's right. I yes, will which, I'll definitely that, think about that, too. No oh, pressure please. or anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let that bug fly around your ear a little bit longer. I will, yeah. <laughs> I'm determined. <laughs> And thank you, Anne, for your excellent observations and support, as always. And thank you all to the audience for joining us today, and I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. We'll see you soon.